Welcome back to the Gen Z Speaks podcast. With me today, my other hosts, the business magnate, mogul, soon-to-be, Matt Gutierrez. How you doing, man? Doing great, bro. Doing great. Got some pink balloons back here. Celebration of my baby sister. Yes, sir, she's one week old now? Uh, week and a half. Week and a half? Yeah. Nice. Crazy. And... Finally, the future of computer science and technology. Janish, how you doing? Doing great, brother. Looking forward to today. Okay, so today we're, we're going to talk about primarily a continued conversation on the Russia and Ukraine crisis, provide some updates and our commentary on it. And then we're going to talk about the trucker protests, the so-called freedom convoy uh, that just ended in Canada. Uh, but before that, um we you want to start off with some personal updates like how life's going what some things that are interesting that we've been doing yeah we could do that you want to start off yeah yeah so recently we started this jenish texted me one day he said do you want to hold each other accountable for reading a book or something and i said okay and then we decided we told matt about it eventually and then all of us decided on this book um, so every single month, we, we're, we're going to try to read one book a month and hold each other accountable for it and just discuss it. So we might I'll as well try, discuss it. not try. Huh? We're going to don't say try. We're going to. We're going to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We're going to for sure. We started. We already started reading it. But the book that we chose, uh, what's the full name of the book? I know it's the defining decade 20s, higher 20s. Do you guys have the official name? Yeah. Through, let me see. Let me check. The, yeah. So it's the defining decade. What? why your 20s matter and how to make the most of them now yeah so the defining like, decade why your 20s MJ. matter and how to make the most of them <clears throat> now it's by a clinical psychologist meg j and what do you guys think of the book so far so my first impression i'm about i want to say 60 percent through the book um i think it's been pretty solid uh compare i think Compared to the books that I've read in the past, um, mainly kind of like self-help, mental growth, you know, mindset type books, is just different in the sense that we hear stories from many 20-year-olds, right? And we're not just hearing it from one person's mindset. Like, sure, you know, she's writing the book and she, Meg's talking about, um, you know, the experiences and, and what, how her depiction of your 20 should be, but she has these ideas because of other people that she's been working with for an extended amount of time. And so throughout the book, she kind of talks about little anecdotes from each one of her <clears> clients <throat> and talks about like their main, you know, concerns or dilemmas, you know, stuff like that. And then she kind of relate, relates it to, you know, a 20 year old's mindset, which is, you know, there's so many options out there in the world and there's so many opportunities and there's just so much going on it's kind of difficult to hone in and select your worldview. And so she talks about, you know, love. She talks about, um, you know, work, your growth mindset. Um, and it's just been extremely interesting seeing how these other 20-year-olds uh, view life and view their own, you know, personal experiences. I love the quotes that she uses at the beginning of each chapter. The one that kind of stood out to me was, we are born not all at once, but by bits. It's a really deep statement. And also one other thing that one of the other quotes that was mentioned in the book was 
you know how we always hear the Socrates quote, the unexamined life is not worth living. But the counter to that is the unlived life is not worth examining. You know, so many people um, have these dreams and aspirations, but they kind of waste away their 20s trying to live up the life or trying not to miss out on things that everybody else is doing. And they kind of prioritize their short-term needs over their long-term goals. There's this saying that, uh, that Emmanuel Acho, he's a former footballer and like a sports commentator. He always says, most people fail because they give up most. No, most people fail because they, one second, one second, I got to pull it up, but it, it goes something along those lines where people fail because they prioritize their short-term needs over their long-term uh, goals. They, most people give up. Most people fail because they give up what they most need for what they want now. Does that make sense? Yeah. In other words, they're looking for, yeah. you know, pleasure and happiness over, you know, peace of state and state. Yeah. It's yeah no, I, would have, I would have to also agree with Matt. Like the one thing I find about this book that's um, interesting is that the examples are not just the life experience of, um, you know, the author, but it's about many different people and what they've been going through. Right. And I think that kind of um, adds like a real element to the book. It's not just one person's opinion. It's it, it, you're kind of um, viewing it on more of a macro scale and kind of seeing like all these different peoples have uh, different issues in their twenties and kind of how, um, you know, you should think about uh, approaching your twenties. You know, I think about this quite <laughs> a bit and, you know, everybody in life has issues. They have dilemmas. They have like, you know, their own demons and, it doesn't matter whether, you know, you're starving. Obviously, that sucks, right? You don't have the necessary food. You don't have the necessary, like, basic goods of life. Or, you know, uh, or you're in a different position where, you know, your family is really well-to-do well and you have different issues because it, either way, they scale out because the person that does have the necessary, you know, the necessary basics and goods in life, they still have issues in their life, right? Just because one thing kind of gets taken care of other problems arise, right? Like, I don't know if you guys have realized this, but as we're getting older and we're making money and, you know, we have education, but like when we're in high school, right, we didn't have much money. Like, we, you know, what we would do, we'd go to like BJ's on Tuesday for the Pazookis or we'd go for like Taco Tuesday. $3 just to like, exactly. We just try to save money. Right. <laughs> but now that we have some money, we don't have to worry about it as much. And so mm -hmm. other problems and other things that come up in our lives, those take more precedence. And they may not be as important as like, you know, eating or drinking water, but they still take precedence in our mind. And I just think that's really interesting because a lot of these people that she talks about, I mean, first of all, to get, be able to get therapy and counseling, that's already a luxury, right? To be able to talk about your problems to, you know, yeah. somebody that's qualified, that's already a luxury. Um, and I just, I think it's interesting because not to take away from their issues, right? Like everybody has issues in life, regardless of whether, you know, their basic needs or their actual you know, you're trying to self elevate yourself. Um, and I just feel like it's, it's it, the reason I think it's interesting is because people always try to like, Oh, what are you going to therapy for? Or what are you going to counseling for? Like, you don't know what problems are, but in reality, it's like, sure. They don't have like basic need problems, but they still have issues in their life that need, you know, some reconciliation. Does that yeah. make sense? Mm -hmm. I feel like I dragged sure. it. No, no, no. I agree with you. I feel like, you know, when, when we were kids, 
And like you said, we, we didn't have these like issues that we had like, oh, we need to find a job. We need to do this. We need to pay bills or whatever. Um, but the issues we did have like, oh, I need to, you know, pass um, the AP exam or whatever. Those issues back then had like the same amount of like mental toll as paying bills right now, if that makes Fair. sense. That, that's exactly. how I kind of see it, right? And I just feel like as you grow up, you know, you, you start having, everybody starts having different issues and, and the issue, the, the, the magnitude of the issue depends on the person it's not about um how other people see the issues right or the right. whatever they're dealing with it's it's like a personal thing so i definitely agree with that so yeah it's i think the, the most fascinating part of the book is so meg j the clinical psychologist in the book she basically just recounts her sessions with her patients and she just tells the stories of these patients and she gives her comments on it and tells tells us the readers how she was able to help some of these 20 year olds who were kind of lost in their life and, and trying to get back on track. And, and the most important point that she always emphasizes throughout the book or whatever I've read so far is that 30 is not the new 20, that the t- being in your 20s is the only time in your life where you have a significant opportunity to do what you want and to change your life for the better. And that once you turn 30, those opportunities biologically and just, you know, practically change. And so um, it's a little jarring to read it because as a 21 year old, I only have nine years left now, you know, and the time just is ticking, man. It it never stops. So I don't know. I I, I, I definitely get a little inch, a little bit of anxiety as I read it. You know, have you gone to the love, the love section yet? No, no, dude. It's like, once you get it, I just finished it. Um, <laughs> it, it gives, it gives, definitely gives you some angst, bro. It definitely gives you some angst. Um, just like her portrayal of how like finding your partner is and like, you know, it's okay. Her whole thing is, you know, throughout like opportunities, right? Like, sure. There's tons of girls mm-hmm. out there for us. Right. And, you know, we can go hop around, but the thing is once you hit 30 and it's like, shoot, like now I kind of have to hurry up. And it's in reality, and her, her whole thing is, is both, right? First of all, there are a lot of options out there in the world, but do you really want to go through those options? Is that like, is that what's really the want in your brain or is that what everybody else is doing? Right. And then also, if you don't find the person by 30, like it's also okay. Like there's nothing wrong in, in, in that, you know, everybody takes life differently and everybody has, you know, their own path. Um, so, so I thought that was very angsty talk, like reading through that. Uh, one thing I, I want to mention, you're talking about quotes. It's the one I sent you the other day. She goes, a raft is a good thing to have when you're crossing a river. But when you get to the other side, put it down. And I think in, you know, my personal experience, I think I'm currently. Can, can you say it one more time? It. Can you say it one more yeah, time? Actually? For sure. A raft is a good thing to have when you're crossing a river. But when you get to the other side, put it down. Mm. Right. So her whole thing with this is. You know, if you're if you're going through some debilitating issue in like the moment or whatever, and you know, whether it's music that helps you out or whether it's, you know, a run that helps you out. First of all, it's a good thing, right? Those are good things to be able to have and go through or, you know, talking to people like that's also a good thing. But there also goes gets to a point where it's too much, right? Like you're just going through it too much and you just need to move, like make a decision and move. And it's extremely difficult. Like it's really easy to say, right? Like when you're going through a tough time make a decision to move, make a decision to move. It's easy to say, but when you're going through it, it's just like, damn, this is difficult. Like I'm in a rut right now. And, um, 
I think her, the most important point that she brought up when she was talking about this is, you know, it's okay to make a wrong decision, but do something, make some decision, you know, don't just sit there and, and, you know, waddle in your, in your own like misery, like just move, just do something. It doesn't have to be right. You know, sure. Like right now uh, you might want to be a therapist or something, but you don't have those resources. It's okay to work at a coffee shop or it's okay to go ahead and like take on some, uh, you know, what was the, uh, a summer camp training. Like it's okay to do these types of things because they open up doors for you and who knows, maybe you won't be want to be a counselor later on. Maybe you want to do something else, but it's these doors that you open up that that'll get you to your final like goal, your final decision. So I thought that was really I think, interesting. I think you're hundred percent right. Um, the whole idea of just moving because, you know, when people start thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for the right decision. I'm going to wait for the perfect moment, the, the perfect moment or the right decision that doesn't exist. Everything right. is in hindsight, right? You, you look back 10 years earlier, like, Oh, I made the wrong decision. Well, you can say that now, but back then you didn't know. There's no such thing as, oh, this is the perfect decision. Right. Everything is in hindsight, right? So the idea is just keep moving, right? You can't, you can't, you know, think about, oh, is this right or wrong? You just got to keep going. 100%. Have you guys heard of the paradox of choice? <clears throat> like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, for those of you who are not aware of that, it basically means that when the number of choices increase, so does the difficulty of knowing what is best. And I think this term was coined by the author Barry Schwartz in his book, uh, The Paradox of Choice. I think he was talking more about consumer spending and how if consumers have less options to, in terms of what to buy, it, it's actually better for them or something like that. But I think- Super factual. What's that? It's insane how, how true that is. Yeah. Yeah. Like everybody thinks that once you like you go to yard house, right? You go to cheesecake factory and you mm -hmm. see the options, like all the food is good quality there. Right. <laughs> but it's just too much. And it's like the waitress comes by and says, Hey, like you guys ready to eat? It's like, no, we're not ready. We haven't got through page two yet. Right. But the whole thing is, but then you see in and out and you see canes and you see how much, like how, how many people are going there to eat. They only have one option, right? It's either burgers at in and out or it's chicken at canes. Yeah. Like that's literally it. And, but people move, right? It just, it keeps going and going. But when you're like at Cheesecake Factory and you're looking through the menu and it's just like, oh, this is too much and you get overwhelmed. Right now. I, I think, think another example of that mm -hmm. right now is also just like a simple one I think about is Netflix. Like when I go on Netflix, I'm just like, what? I'm, how should I spend my hour? Like what show should I watch? And then I'm just for an hour just sitting trying to find a show, you know? Like I don't <laughs> even end through. up watching a show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that happens to me all the time, by the way, especially for streaming sites. I think that's one of the things that our generation especially struggles with because we have so many options, so many options these days. And, you know, initially it may seem like a good thing to have many options, but, but it, people struggle with making consequential decisions in their life right. for a very, very long time, you know, and that option, I think having too many options actually increases procrastination. Cause we're like, 100%. Oh, you know what I mean? It's, it's, yes. it's weird. It's like, uh, it's, it's true though. So, you know what the number one skill is in business? What? Decision-making ability. Decision-making. Yeah. 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 And that's why so many people fail when they make a business because they can't make, you know, consequential decisions, just like you said. And it's just, it's interesting because very few people can do it. And that's why very few people are as, as successful as they are. And, you know, everybody else kind of gets left in the dust because 
you know, the decisions aren't there, but the options are all there. Right. So it's just like, it, it's kind of like a, um, it's exactly like what well, you just said, a paradox, a, cho- a paradox of choice. Mm. Seems like a good thing, but in reality, it's not. I wonder, I'm sure she, she'll talk about this, but I think a lot of our decisions are impacted by what we see around us, like our friends and our people. If we see someone else being happy and doing something, we automatically kind of want to do that. You I think know, you've gone there, bro. Urban, uh, urban tribe. When she talks about the urban tribe. Oh, that's right. The urban tribe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She talks about this. I just remembered it was. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go. Ahead. Yeah. So it's, it's the urban tribe, I think. And this is, I haven't read the book in, in four or five days, but remind, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the urban tribe, she basically means that people who you're around, right. All the time, uh, like who are these people and are their priorities and like goals aligned with yours? And like a lot of people kind of waste away a large portion of their lives because they want to be in the in group. They want to be what everybody else is doing. They don't want to be left out, right? They don't want to have this fear of missing out. And this like urban tribe can extend to like our acquaintances as well. It doesn't have to be necessarily our close friends, right? Yeah. So how I picked it up is I kind of thought about like our, you know, our three group, like we're different in the things that we do, but I think in the things that we think about and like how we talk and how we act is very similar, right? I think like a lot of our jokes are very similar, the way we talk to each other. Um, it just like, it compiles onto each other, right? We're all talking and then we all just adapt to it. And I think that's what she was talking about as well. It's like, sure, like the way we go about life could be similar, you know, like we all went to college, right? But then it goes further than that. Like our personalities start to align. And then in the urban tribe, your personalities start to align. And then like not even your personality, it's like your communication style starts to align. And, you know, if your communication starting to align and your personality starting to align, your goal setting is probably going to start to align. And, you know, if you're not, if you're in an urban tribe that, you know, isn't very driven or isn't very opportunistic, then you're probably not going to be in the best state later on in life. And I think it was interesting to hear that because, for those people that like, I feel like us, us three, we're pretty driven. Like we have goals that we want to get to. And, you know, there's very few things that are willing to stop us. Right. Um, but those that, you know, not necessarily are in that type of tribe, it's difficult to break out and it's difficult to find new friends. Right. Cause you're, we're in our twenties now. Exactly. We're in our twenties now. And it's like the people that we're hanging around, those are probably going to be the people that we hang around for the rest of our lives. And, you know, to find new people, it's, it's definitely not like the easiest thing. How crazy is that? I was, I was in my cinematography class like two weeks ago and the professor goes, uh, find your group because you're going to be with this group for the rest of the semester. And all of us just kind of looked at each other and were like, <laughs> what? <laughs> find our group. And yeah, yeah. I mean, just people just randomly, you know, and it was our, it's going to be our group for the rest of the semester. But that thing like that you just said reminded me like that group is for the rest of your life, man, decades yeah. to come. And I, it's reading this book actually i think a 30 year old can't read this book because they would just die of anxiety like almost it would be depressing for them to read it you know dude we're getting anxiety and we just turned yeah. 21 yeah like that's insane right well, well just not even 21 yet i think um I, I i do agree with like you know we do have certain time limit and stuff like that but i think viewing life in that way kind of the way she's kind of like it's like a time limit it's like a ticking bomb i don't think that's healthy and i don't think we should view it like that 
even yeah. though she's kind of staying like i think we should just enjoy life in the moment you know obviously i'm not saying we shouldn't grind you know aspire for our goals do all these things right but i don't think we should view it like oh uh, there's a time because whenever there's time associated with anything i don't know about you guys but i get really like anxious right anxious, and i don't yeah. think that's that's the way to live life that's just that's just like torture you know so i would just rather view you know I agree with that. We we have a certain time limit in in where we we're gonna be able to take risks, do all these different things, try out new things. But I still think I personally I wouldn't view I wouldn't view life like a time bomb where it's like you know <laughs> ten, ten it is though it is a time bomb years, though it, well it is but viewing it like that you know it's all about perspective right it's about yeah. how you view things right so you know with that perspective it life just becomes in super like this anxiety all day and it's just not fun yeah well okay but that's also like has to do with you right like you can think of it like a time bomb right but it could still be healthy because you can compartmentalize things if you're able to compartmentalize you know life and you know hey i'm on this trajectory right now like there's 10 things in life that are extremely important right let's just say i'm not gonna name 10 things let's name three things you know let's say love let's say work and let's say like social activities if you can compartmentalize each thing and talk about love, like, okay, this is where I'm at right now. And this is where I want to be. How do I get there? And then you break that up by steps. And then you go into, you know, um, work, you know, this is where I want to be. And this is where I'm at right now. How do I compartmentalize each step? And then you do the same thing with social activities, right? This is where I am. This is where I want to be, you know, et cetera. I think if you, if you look at each compartment as like their sole being, you'll eventually get to that goal, but you're still kind of living in that time, time frame. I agree with that. Kind of splitting it like, like if it's like, let's say it's a 10 year period, you split it to like one years and see mm-hmm. I'm at in the beginning of this year, I'm at this at the end of this year. What, where do I want to be at? Kind of like that. If that's how I'm kind of imagining it. Right. But I also think that's a good, what you mentioned, it's like kind of, you're setting up a framework for your life where you kind of, um, you know, get these things that are important to you and kind of um, like you said, compare, compartmentalize it and see the, all the different things like love, career, um, social life, family, where do you want to be by a certain a, a end, right? Yeah. So I think that's, that, that can be pretty helpful. Yeah. <clears throat> Have you guys seen that Steve Jobs speech at the Stanford graduation 10, 15 years ago? He, he yes. says that every day he wakes up in the mirror. I don't know if he was like, he meant it literally, but he says he wakes up, looks at himself in the mirror and tells himself, if, if today were the last day of my life, how would I want to spend it? And I, I think, I, I actually think that's not as like, it depends, like, like you said, it, it depends on your perspective, but I think that's actually a good way to live your life because you want to maximize each day. Like we take every single day for granted, like tomorrow is never guaranteed. So we might as well make the most of the day. That doesn't mean that it means, oh, you have to like do all these different things. It just means, it just means it can, it can, you can have your own definition of making the most of the day means like if that means to enjoy a really good session at the gym, that can be your definition, you know, or for, for sure. some other people, it could be a whole variety of things. As long as you're doing something with your day that enhances your situation in life. Does that make sense? I'll make you know? habits, bro. 1% better. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, you know, it doesn't have to be great, but just a little bit better. Just do something that helps you out. Also, the quote that I was trying to say that I <laughs> could not remember, <laughs> Emmanuel Acho's quote, I think it's the most, it's amazing. 
it, it's, it goes, the reason most people fail is because they're willing to give up what they want most for what they want now. I've heard this, dude. That yeah. is really good. Yeah. Dude, okay, check this out. So when you're a kid, right, you have all these aspirations. Like you go to, you know, you're in first grade and you go to talk to, you know, your classmate at school. It's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that's a common question. Easy question, right? It may seem like an easy question. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be, you know, for, for whatever it may be. And then you go through life and, you know, by middle school, you know, you're like, okay, maybe I don't want to be an astronaut, but maybe I want to be, you know, a scientist of some sort, right? Not, not saying it's any easier. I'm just saying like maybe something a little lower down the spectrum. And then you're in high school and you go through classes and it's like, shit, like this actually matters because if I want to be a scientist, like I need to go to a good school. Maybe I need to lower my standards a little bit. And then you continue going through life and then you get bills and you get family. And it's those standards continue to drop until you're at a point where you're just in this perpetual cycle of your life. And you're not necessarily happy. You're not necessarily sad, but you're not necessarily happy, right? Because your aspirations were never fulfilled. You wanted to be an astronaut, but now you're just like maybe a data clerk. And, you know, it's not a bad thing to be a data clerk, but it's not where you want it to be. And what you want now, just like, it just, the whole idea with pleasure, man, like with Nietzsche and, and this whole idea of pleasure and the now is just, it's so sad. It's sad because people get lost in it. Mm. Is that fair to say? No, I, I agree with you. And I also, I think there's, there's a thing, okay. I don't know. Maybe this is just my perspective, but I think there's a thing I need to look more into it, but there's a thing where I think school trains you to lower your standards or school trains you to like not school kind of detracts you from your original dream or aspiration. And I don't know why, but I think that's, that there's some research to be done there. Yeah. I remember teachers. Talk. Do you remember when, when we're in, um, we're all in the same Drago's class, right? Yeah. World history freshman year, Do you remember, eight years ago. Yes. Eight years ago. Do you remember when he wow. asked us what we want to be when we're older? Do you like, no. we're, we're, no, okay, I, I remember, remember I remember this vividly because I'll tell you why right now, but he asked us for our name. He asked us for uh, like what we want to learn in that class and then what our aspiration or what we want to be when we're older. And, you know, we're 14 years old here. Right. And, you know, at the time I wanted to be CEO of Apple. Like that was my thing. I wanted to be a CEO and it wasn't necessarily of Apple. Right. But mm -hmm. I want to be of a big company. And I just remember the laugh, like he laughed and then the rest of the class laughed. Mm. And then I'm, it's in my head. I'm like, you know what? Screw these dudes. Like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, in my head, cause I'm very like path driven. Like, I don't care what anybody says. Like I'm, I'm a horse when it comes to my goals. Like, that's just what I want is going to like, that's where I'm running for. But it just like the thought of it, it's just like school's kind of toxic in that way. Right. Like who the fuck is, to, sorry, who's to say like, I'm not able to do that. Right. They don't know who I am. And just like other people may say stuff like that, right? Like they don't know who, I don't know who they are, but people laugh. People like give discouragement because, you know, we might not look like Steve Jobs right now or talk like Steve Jobs right now. Like I was 14. It's just, mm -hmm. I, I, that's anecdote. I no. thought it was really interesting. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a beautiful Kanye West lyric that, um, that I want to say that is like for this situation. <laughs> In one of his songs, I remember he said, uh, uh, this is the real world, homie. School finished. They didn't stole your dreams. You don't know who did it. I think that that's like true. Uh, that's actually real. You know what's a better one? Um, I, I don't want this podcast to become like a quote regurgitation. <laughs> I do it a lot, but listen, 
um you you guys seen the pursuit of happiness the movie right yeah yeah, yeah one of the greatest films ever made but so will smith remember that scene where he's giving the basketball his to his son yeah. and he says uh he's talking about protecting your dreams and i think he says something along the lines you have a dream you have to protect it people tell you you can't do something or you can't accomplish your dream because they couldn't do it and so you have well, a responsibility yeah. you know you have a responsibility to protect it no matter what there's no excuses and Kobe used to say something along the same lines where he was like, people say, oh, like, I'm not tall enough to play basketball or, or I'm not like, you know, uh, I'm not well-read enough to go to this school or that. And it's like, it's just all the excuses. Like if you can envision something, the sky is the limit, you can do it. And there's no excuses. And then the second step is to protect the dream that the, there's going to be people who will laugh at you as they did in your instance, Matt. But the thing is to, just you know the only way you can move is forward and that's it so that's also a good thing right when you have haters yeah. that's like yeah that motivates you dude, dude. fuck yeah bro that I, motivates the hell out of me every it's single, like yeah dude every single time like, i'm in the gym i swear to you like if i'm doing a like a hard set i remember something that somebody said that was like discouraging and i just and i just remember their face and i'm like i can envision them punching them and i just do an extra rep like i think i think people discouraging you Obviously, there's limits to it. Like, obviously, bullying and or like excessive yeah. bullying can definitely like you know uh, make you feel a certain way. But like, uh, I don't know. Like, if people, Dude, it's just, encouraging like, me because, mm -hmm. in my opinion, you have a higher standard than them. They're mm -hmm. laughing at you because they don't think that you can get there. But that also, like, you know, by uh, by their words, they can't get there, right? Mm -hmm. And if they're laughing at you. That means that they, they have doubt in themselves. And that makes me feel good when other people doubt themselves. Like, I don't want to be a jerk or anything, but it's like, shit, like, you know, maybe I am, maybe I can be better than these people. Like, maybe I can't, not, not, sorry, that came off wrong. Not better than these people, but I can have a higher standard. I can do more. I can be more than I am, you know? Um, but like, let, let's just end on this last quote. I think this is the best Kanye quote of all time. <laughs> Bow in the presence of greatness. <laughs> stronger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, let's let's move on to the let's russia and ukraine crisis um that was a good talk i, I liked it yeah. uh so since since our last podcast uh russia has now amassed 190,000 troops along the borders of ukraine uh earlier last week they said that a lot of these troops were leaving they were going back to russia but that turned out to be wrong uh, and they turned out putin was basically lying uh, and the troops are still there. Also, Belarus, which borders Ukraine and Russia, they were conducting military exercises in Belarus. They were, they were supposed to be temporary, and now they're going to be continued indefinitely. Uh, and uh, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, said that Biden and Putin should meet. Biden was open to it, but he said that he this would not happen if Russia invades Ukraine. And Putin said that a talk between them is premature seems to me that the pendulum is kind of swinging uh washington dc under biden is very adamant that this is going to happen russia is going to invade ukraine and russia continues to deny it but we all know they're lying um they're in certain instances even provoking certain parts of ukraine um into like you know launching attacks so they can claim oh ukraine actually started and we're now just defending ourselves so it seems to be a little overwhelming. What are your guys' thoughts on the latest developments? So personally, I think there's a good chance that Russia 
will invade. I mean, all signs point to it, right? But I was reading some articles and some doing some research, and I've, I've written down some reasons why maybe they might not invade, right? So let me just pull this up real quick. I actually wrote it down, okay? So one of the first reasons is that while it might seem like all the Russians are for this, that's not actually true. A lot of the young Russians in Russia are opposed to the idea of invading Ukraine. And they've done like polls and stuff that are saying that Russians are not all for invading Ukraine. Um, another reason, like an obvious one, is that Western sanctions will definitely hurt the economy of Russia. Uh, and their economy is already not you know, great to begin with. Um, obviously, they have relations with China and other countries, but uh, Western trading is a huge part of their economy and that will probably harm them. Um, third reason is that it's going to be pretty bloody, at least like the initial part of it. Like maybe it's down the line, Ukraine might just, you know, pull the white flag and say, uh, we resist, right? And, or like not resist, we're, we're done. You know, you guys can take over. Um, but initially, the, you know, the Ukraine army is already posted up all along the borders and they're ready to, you know, um, go to war. Um, and then one of the last reasons, um, I think, is also that um, there's going to be a high, like, you know, uh, political cost. And I think Putin kind of already has made his point, if that makes sense. Like, he's already kind of stated, like, you know, like, we have the power, we could do this. And we don't really know what Putin's agenda is fully, um, but we can infer and say that, you know, he wants to establish that Russia is a powerhouse and, you know, they, they have certain authority over Eastern Europe. So um, in that case, Putin has kind of already stated his point. Um, but those are some of the reasons why I think that maybe Russia might not um, end up uh, invading Ukraine, even though there all signs do point to that happening. But there are some reasons I think that it might not happen. Do you, think, do you guys think, what do you guys think on the points I made? Do you think like those are I, I think your point when you say about the young people is definitely valid. I think young people in general uh, are, you know, they're hesitant to vi uh, in terms of invading in another country. Your point, but again, the polls thing can vary, right? Like that you can have a polling sample of like 500 people and there can be all sorts of statistical errors associated with that. But I think, I, I think uh, it, Russia seems to be playing a, a game <laughs> and, and the game involves the lives of thousands of Ukrainians that can potentially die. And they're treating this as some sort of like, they're, they're treating this like a, like not like a chess game, but it, it's very concerning how they're treating the lives of these Ukrainians. And they're saying one thing and denying the other thing. Uh, your point, I think you made a point about that Putin has already made his point. I don't know if that's true. He definitely has made a point that he's willing to go down a military path if that means that Ukraine doesn't join NATO or to, you know, assert Russia itself in terms of uh, assert Russia uh, and make it stronger in terms of Eastern Europe stability and security. But I, I think there's more that Putin could potentially do. I mean, 190,000 troops along the Ukrainian border. And it's literally surrounded at every single part of the border is a lot. And he's spending so much money on amassing these troops. I think, and I think Putin today, 
is going to make remarks about um, potential areas in Ukraine that it will recognize as part of Russia. Like they're pro-Russian areas and Putin today will, uh, is I think it, the, he's going to make a decision whether or not to officially recognize these areas as Russia. But I think Putin's philosophy on this whole issue is that he views Ukraine as a part of Russia. They are one people. And so his thinking on this is that Ukraine is supposed to be part of Russia. That's how things are supposed to be. And if there is an opening, an opportunity for me to, uh, you know, potentially annex Ukraine, I he's saying to the rest of the world that I'm considering it and that I might as well do it. So I don't know what's going to happen. It's really hard to predict. But obviously, as U.S. intelligence has pointed out and President Biden is saying, it's bound to happen at any given moment. I think it I think it can happen at any given moment, but I think it's going to be really like bloody, you know, Ukraine is not just going to give up. And I think it's going to do a lot of harm to even the Russian uh, army and the Russian people. And I don't know if all of the Russian people are for it because they're, you know, it's their family members, their fathers, their brothers that are going to war. Putin doesn't care about like what (laughs) Russians think about their family members. I mean, 14,000 people have already died, by the way, in this whole Ukrainian Russia, not, not, this year but like over the last six seven years i believe because of the war in crimea i remember russia annexed crimea back in 2014 when president obama was uh in power so 14,000 people have already died i don't think putin cares about the uh mass casualties maybe he does but uh what he is trying to do currently again can result in like a whole refugee crisis ukrainians will start fleeing to other parts of europe and to a certain degree Europe already faces a refugee crisis. So, yeah, I mean, my opinion is similar to last week. Uh, I agree. I don't. I don't think he necessarily cares. Um, I think it's interesting if you look at all his predecessors, they didn't care, right, about casualties. They didn't. It, that wasn't necessarily necessarily um, something on their radar. I think their whole thing is we want to be great, right? And they're just trying to prove that. Just like you said, Russia is trying to assert themselves. And I don't. I don't know. He, I think Putin's extremely unpredictable. Um, and I don't necessarily know what's going to happen, but I, I think that's the overarching thing there that he's just trying to be great. Wow. So I just hope, mm-hmm. I just hope like if they do invade, it's not, um, it's not as bloody as I think it might be because a lot of people are going to die if it, because there's a certain, I don't know how, um, how Ukraine's going to respond to the, an invasion? Are they just going to go full out war? Like we're going to start bombing airstrikes, all this stuff, or is it going to be more like, you know, they're going to push up on like a certain area and then kind of um, fight over there. Or I don't know how that's going to go, but um, I hope <laughs> hoping that, um, you know, there's not a lot of casualties in the process. Wow. So this just happened, but Putin, officially recognized um, separatist health regions in Ukraine. And so this is Russian as Russian territory. Yeah. So they, and Putin did it on state TV in Russia. So yeah, he he recognized it. What's that? You predicted it. I mean, no, I didn't, anything could happen, but uh, yeah. So he just did it. Uh, And I mean, again, they were, these, these areas already had a lot of like pro-Russian rebels in there, but he officially recognized 
these two territories. I have no idea how to pronounce them. Donetsk and Lugansk uh, as part of Russia. So, um, yeah, I, I, I honestly just don't have no idea what Putin's end goal here is. He's he such... whatever. I, I just hope whatever Russia does, I don't know how they invade or whatever. I just hope there's no use of the nuclear weapons. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if if there is, and I really hope U.S. doesn't even get involved in this, but if they do, L.A. is definitely a striking point, <laughs> and that's where we live. And we're the Texas boys. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, no, U.S. is not getting involved in Tough. this at all. Nothing. Because NATO already said that we're, we're not allowing pretty much. They pretty much uh, implicitly said that we're not allowing Ukraine to join NATO. <clears throat> yeah, so this latest developments, the NATO chief condemned this. The NATO chief said that this undermines Ukrainian sovereignty, what Russia just did, which is Again, they recognize these Ukrainian separatists as part of Russia. And uh, a lot of people are saying that this is going to pave the way for um, this is going to pave the way for a lot of these rebels, which are backed by Russia to face Ukrainian. So it's almost like a proxy war. But uh, we'll see what happens. I don't I mean, President Biden said he's going to impose sanctions. I don't think they're going to do these sanctions are going to do much. Remember the last podcast I was talking about that Nord Stream that runs from Germany to Russia. I think that's the main way that Russia can be heard because again, a lot of their revenues come from oil. And I'm I'm going to be it's interesting to see how the global economy gets impacted by this war. Um, you know, stocks have already been uh, at least down in this this past month and they're not doing so great, especially in the tech tech world. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I hope, I hope things don't escalate to war because war turns men into animals and it's going to lead uh, to a lot of destroyed families. So, yeah. For sure. Let's, uh, let's move on to the freedom convoy. Yeah. So I think a lot of people actually know about this, the, the freedom convoy, basically is a group of truckers, that were protesting the Canadian mandates on vaccines. I believe 90% of Canadian truckers were already vaccinated. The rest of the truckers who refused to get vaccinated, uh, they started protesting in Ottawa. Uh, I believe that's where the Canadian capital is in that province. And they basically occupied important streets and routes uh, to routes, which led to like trade between the US and Canada. And these blockades, um, these blockades were blocking billions of millions, millions of dollars of trade revenue every day. And eventually Canadians got sick and tired of it. A lot of these protesters, you know, were being belligerent. Some reports claimed they were being violent, but long story short, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada invoked his emergency powers, which gives the government a lot of power, including freezing the bank accounts of people who were donating to these truckers. And uh, so what is your guys' initial take on this? And for the record, these protests are are done now. Uh, The emergency powers, I guess, were successful in terms of dispersing away these protesters, which had been there for almost 30 days. So... 
I think it was pretty brutal in that they kind of shut down their financial institutions, right? I mean, they shut down their livelihood to survive. So that's that's tough. I think it's also kind of funny that they shut down their crypto wallets. Um, it just shows how far crypto's come and how far it's going to be if, if that's like a real, um, you know, breaker in, you know, breaking riots up and protests up. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think it went too far, just like you were saying. I think it went too far and uh, we there definitely needs to be, uh, there should have been better measures taken, more productive measures taken. The only thing I can say is I, I see... I see the severity of it because just how the supply chain is right now. I mean, we're backed up four or five months in, you know, in products. And if 10% of your uh, truckers are, you know, not doing anything or they're protesting, like that's tough. That That's setting back, you know, things even further. And, you know, that, that just doesn't fly because, you know, we see it ourselves, right? Our prices are increasing like crazy. And, you know, we're not getting our, our Amazon shipments on time. It's supposed to be two days, but it's really taking a week now. Um, it's just, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Sorry, Janish, go ahead. Yeah. No, also just to your point, um, it, it's not only that the 10% are not working, but they were causing blockades for other truckers, if I'm not wrong, um, where right, they right. couldn't get to certain outposts or certain places to, you know, drop off a shipment or, you know, take shipment. So I think that also adds to the whole, um, economy and kind of, um, the whole point of the shipments and trade. But do you think Trudeau was right to invoke the emergency powers on these truckers, which are rarely used and potentially can freeze the bank accounts of people who even donated to these individuals? Isn't that a I think that's a misuse of your power. Yeah, like, I think I think there's, they, they could have done it in another way. Maybe um, I, I don't know how, but they could have done it in a different way. I think it was a bit of an overuse. Right. And I believe, Ibrahim, you pointed out that. Um, the last time these powers were used were like was like in World War II, which was like a real emergency, right? And um, I don't think this scales to a World War uh, level of emergency. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know if it scales to a World War uh, emergency, um, but we also don't know what's going on behind you know closed doors. Like maybe there's other stuff that we don't know that's happening. Uh, I mean, I guess based off of what we see, I think maybe it was a little too far. But I don't believe that an emergency, you know, um, act can be initiated based on, you know, just this. I think there has to be something else there that we just don't know about. Well, yeah, like people in Canada don't support these truckers. The majority of the people, they don't, you know, they support these vaccine mandates. Some, a lot of them do in mass mandates. But I think at the tail end of a pandemic to invoke emergency powers of people who are protesting uh, an end to these mandates, they're not asking for much. Obviously, they're, the way they did it was absolutely wrong. Again, like I only believe in peaceful protests. The, their, their, their strategy, the trucker strategy was, was terrible in terms of you know, disrupting daily life and cost, costing millions of dollars in damage. But I think they, a lot of the sentiments of these truckers represent American sentiment where a lot of people are just sick and tired of the pandemic, right? We're sick and tired of these restrictions. And we all know the pandemic is now an endemic. It's going to be endemic, right? A lot of states are getting rid of mass mandates. California just got rid of its mass mandate. So like, what is at a certain point in time, like I kind of, I understand the, the frustration of these truckers, you know, but again, like the way they did it was wrong. 
Yeah, certainly. There's definitely frustration, but just because it's frustration doesn't mean you go ballistic or, you know. Yeah. But then that just, doesn't mean that the government can just like freeze your bank account if you donate. Very true. It just, know. it was poorly executed in all parts. On like. both sides. Yeah. 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 Okay. Which happens, right? It's, it's life. <laughs> yeah. But, but <laughs> these decisions, again, like these decisions can impact so much, so much. They did. Yeah, I think, I right? think they, they did impact. Like a- I think they have a future impact too on where now Trudeau maybe is more lenient on using emergency powers in another scenario, right? Where it's like, oh, I used it back then. I can use it now again as well. But realistically, they weren't supposed to be used back then. Back then, meaning like this scenario, right? So who knows? Kind of like, correct me if I'm wrong, but Andrew Jackson, right? Didn't didn't that happen? Where he just kind of implemented his presidential powers in the U.S. and they kind of just expanded from there throughout presidencies and it wasn't necessarily supposed to be that way mm. yeah there's right. been like so many examples of presidential overreach in our history yeah andrew jackson was one of them where he was uh, central bank yeah i mean he strengthened the executive office a lot um but I, I i'm not in favor of what justin trudeau did i don't think he there, there's other ways like maybe he could have negotiated with them like why you know institute emergency power straight away um, but a lot of the, what, what la, my last point on this is I'm worried about a lot of the, a lot of leaders in power who are still hesitant to consider the pandemic as endemic. And they're still like saying not to get rid of a lot of the mandates because at a certain point in time, you have to make a decision and your people for life to get back to normal. And like, I think the time is now and it's past due. And if you're making decisions because you don't want to, because of just your stubbornness and you don't want to go back on your, what you said earlier, just doesn't make sense to me, you know? So I think exactly. It's kind of like what we're talking about earlier. We're like, we're kind of wallowing in our misery right now. It's kind of like sitting in place and it's kind of, I mean, it's just kind of funny, but it, it sucks because it's our life and it's, you know, millions and millions of people's lives that are just being affected by this. But yeah, we're just kind of wallowing, sitting in place. Yeah. Well, hopefully yeah. better days are ahead. I think it's a good note to end the podcast. Enjoy the For conversation. Sure. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Thanks, guys.